with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles right here. The original Ghost Chronicles, by the way, right here on Tojanet Radio and wherever else podcasts are played. I am Ron Kohut, New England's own Van Helsink, and with me, my co-host, the queen of pain, Maureen Wood. How you doing? Good, good. Now, so, uh, <laughs> yep, the ghost, okay. original Ghost Chronicles rides again. So, you know, we started over 20 years ago, and we're back again, full circle. So this is good. Uh, I'm glad to have you back again. So oh, thank anyway, you. Glad to be here. Yeah. So anyways, the blonde bombshell is uh, having grandchildren or something. I don't know what's going on. But anyways, uh, we have, well, I don't know, something, whatever. Anyways, I would, uh, first of all, I would like to welcome our newest member of uh, Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon, and that is Ed Stevenson. Ed, welcome aboard. And you too can be a member of Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon, where you'll have access to over 40 exclusive videos, uh, Ghost Chronicles the Magazine, and, and so many other things. Uh, and that's, you can get all of that by becoming a member. And I think the cost is three bucks a month. So a cup of coffee, cup of coffee a month and you'll help finance the show and you get access to all the exclusive stuff. It's a good deal early. Anyways, joining us today is, uh, that's Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. So joining us today is someone we had on the show uh, May, I believe, of last year. Uh, he had written a new book at that time, and now he's got a new, another new book out. He's a paranormal author. Uh, he is Robert Oates. Robert, you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, back. thanks for coming back. Uh, what was your last book? Something about the Berkshires, if I remember. Yes, the, the last one, which was my first book, uh, was Ghosts of the Berkshires, uh, based in uh, you know Berkshire County in Western Massachusetts. I know, and it was great. That was a great show. Uh, a lot of the places you had in your book, of course, we had investigated, and, and it was like uh, old home for me, so I, I really enjoyed yes. it. But now you're, yeah. uh, you're somewhere else. Ghosts of I am North, somewhere else. Northwestern New Jersey. That's a big That's difference. It. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, you know, it's not so big when you consider that I'm actually from New Jersey. Oh, my uh, home okay. state. Yeah. And so uh, I was after the I did the first book, uh, I really uh, was excited to do another. And um, I approached the publisher about this. And uh, as it turns out, amazingly, they had no books uh, on North Jersey. You know, really? The very part of North Jersey where I'm from. And I so I proposed that I do a book on North Jersey and uh, it just came together. Excellent. Uh, you, you st yeah. you're still you still in uh, Mass now or wherever you are uh, at this this part. So, of so just to confuse things even further. Oh boy, um, here we go. I am. Uh, yeah, I am from New Jersey. 
I have been living in the Berkshires for the last 19 years, but as of just this summer, I've moved to northeastern Connecticut. Oh, why not? <laughs> why not? Why not? <laughs> I, I, well, I smell you know. it. I smell another new book. A new book coming out. Ghosts of I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'll tell you what. It, it, since I've moved here, people have been approaching me uh, with stories and experiences and accounts because they know that I write about them. And so, you know, I have been keeping a little mental archive and uh, who knows, it, it might happen. There you go. So once you, once you get the uh, the bite, it's good. But anyway. Oh, yeah. Bye. I love it. So, so Robert, uh, I have to ask you. Um, there you go. So I was doing a, there you go. I was doing a little um, research and I noticed on one of your uh, the author notes or information, it said that you've done also readings. And I'm just curious, do you? Do psychic readings or when you say readings, just reading, you read from your book. What do you do? Oh, yeah, I read from the book. Yeah, I'm, I'm ah, not a, I'm oh, a trained we're psychic. About that. <laughs> sorry. <You're trapped. laughs> I know I broke your heart. You broke your heart. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I'm yeah. Reading, so I'm like, oh, well, maybe he's doing other readings, hopefully. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, I, I read. I read from the book. I will say, though, that, um, you know, I do ghost tours as well at different places. And I'll find oh, I find that cool. um, yeah, and I find that uh, psychic mediums often attend the ghost tours, and I love to hear from psychic mediums when they join my ghost tour because you know they 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 often will share with me some just really wonderful, insightful kind of uh, you know thoughts and and experiences that they're having and connections that they're making, and I, it's it's wonderful. So, whereabouts do you do some of the um, the ghost tours? So I, I began doing ghost tours um, at the Mount in Lenox, Mass. Uh, God, it was about 2010. And uh, been doing it ever since. Just as of last year, um, I branched out a little bit in the, not too far, because they're all in Lenox <laughs> in the same town, but um, at another Gilded Age estate called Ventford Hall, oh, yes. uh, which is just down the, just on the road from the Mount. Yeah. And then also a cemetery walk and reading um, also in Lenox. Uh, at a place called the Church on the Hill. Yeah, that's that's uh, Bedford Hall is absolutely gorgeous. It's a beautiful place. I've done uh, public ghost hunt there with the Berkshire Paranormal Group, and uh, oh, fantastic! Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, we've also uh, Ann and I, the Bob Bond Show, and myself shot a parody of uh, Downton Abbey from there, the opening of Downton Abbey ah, original. Nice. Yeah. The people there were great help because they helped us with it and everything else. We we took the the opening of it and I'll I'll dig it up somewhere and put it up. But we took the opening of it and we we made it over, which came out really good. It was a, a great piece. Uh, but nice, yeah, nice. I love that place. So let's yeah, go to New Jersey. That's your new book. Yep. So yeah. you grew up in New Jersey. Did you hear these stories growing up? So that's interesting, right? Because yeah, I grew up in New Jersey. And I did hear some stories. Um, and so, you know, everybody asks, well, did you write about the Jersey Devil, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, most people have heard of the Jersey Devil. Um, and in fact, I give the New Jersey Devil a brief mention, and that's about it, because uh-huh. there are so many other stories. It's like um, the Mott Band. That, it gets kind of beaten to death. Yeah, you know, and, and, it, and there really is a lot more to the story. And in fact, technically, the Jersey Devil is not a ghost, right? So... Uh, <laughs> I didn't really even go there. Mm-hmm. Um, although there are a few of these cryptids that I did mention, um, uh, you know, 
that are not as famous as the Jersey Devil, like the Lake Hopatcon monster. Um, but yeah, a few of them I'd heard of, you know, like uh, there's a well-known haunted road called Clinton Road in, um, in Passaic County, New Jersey. Um, a few other places that you hear about, you know, Morristown uh, having a couple of ghosts in certain residences there. Um, but honestly, it wasn't until I started working on the book that I became aware of just how much lore there is how many reportedly haunted locations there are, how many stories. And in fact, um, initially, originally the idea was to do one book on all of North Jersey. And as I began to work on it, it became clear that um, there were really two books. So I'm putting out the Northwestern New Jersey this year. And next year, the plan is to do Northeastern New Jersey. Oh, sweet. I, I, before we yeah. move on, uh, on the Jersey Devil, I, I, I have started watching the old X-Files again, which I absolutely love. Yeah. And the yeah. original ones, the beginning years especially, and, and they did one on, on the, uh, the Jersey Devil, and they did an excellent job on it. Uh, you, know, you know, nothing factual, but it was a great episode. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's a great story, yeah. Yeah. The, all right, um, so. But yeah. And, you know, New Jersey is well known for being, the you know, all of those weird books that have become so well known, not just in New Jersey, but all around. I mean, of course, Weird New Jersey was the first. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's been a long history of this kind of Jeff, uh, Jeff, archiving of friend, these stories. Yep. Our good friend Jeff Belanger wrote Weird yeah. Massachusetts. Yeah. 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 And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's a great place. I always, you know, we always grew up, we always talked about it as the chemical capital of the world, but, uh, right. Well, that was a long time ago, but anyways, um, so when you wrote this book, was there one that really story that really, uh, stood out amongst them? Yeah. You know, um, what's interesting with this book was, you know, I, I was looking, I more, more so than even with the Berkshire book. My and probably because I'm from New Jersey and there's a certain amount of kind of autobiography going on here, a certain amount of sort of personal storytelling. Um, I wanted to meet with people and speak with people and have them share their stories and make more of that kind of personal connection. Um, and so I did that as often as I could. And one of the places where I was able to go and meet with the people and, and visit and tour the place was this place called the uh, Sterling Hill. Uh, mining museum which is in ogdensburg in sussex county and mm -hmm. um it has it, it was an old uh, uh zinc mine you know dating back centuries and it used to go down i don't remember the exact number of levels but many levels underground um where they would mine out uh, the zinc there and um more recently it's been closed as a mine and it uh, exists now as a museum uh to mining and many of the people who work there currently are former miners. Um, they, many of them worked there in that location or have a personal connection to the place. And um, the stories of hauntings, I mean, first of all, the, the location is almost enough just to go into the mountain like this, into the hillside, into mm -hmm. these dark, dank spaces, you know, or all of this old pox stone and all the mists that form in there and they sound the way the sound travels in there. I mean, just being there alone is enough 
to stir the senses, you know. But what really moved me was the the passion that these guys feel and the, and the women that work there feel for the place and how protective they are of it and how, uh, you know, the, 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 the man who runs the place, the president, he, you know, he, he told me right from the start, he's a scientist and he doesn't believe in ghosts, right? <laughs> and I thought, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> I don't know if we have an interview here. And sure enough, he said, yeah, but I have seen things here that are beyond belief. And uh, he went on to tell me of, of a lot of the experiences that they've had. Um, but I was really moved by how personal the connection is. And when I met, uh, they, they, they let me know about a man who used to work there um, who was responsible for saving um, the mine, many of the minerals in the mine when they flooded it. He had extracted a lot of the minerals from underground and, and, and preserved them. Uh, much of which was like new. They had never, uh, these were like, my minerals that had only just been discovered and he passed away and the feeling is that that man's spirit is still very much connected to the place as a kind of protective guiding spirit there and so i that that really moved me actually to feel that man that the sense that their their love and that sense of protection that the that that the spirit may have there and i didn't expect it you know you go into a a, a mind like that and you don't expect to find such a such a this sense of warmth and love like that. Yeah, I have to say that that is actually a, something that's nice to hear because I would say that that's not your typical, that everybody, I don't know if it's partially due to, you know, the shows on television and all the demonology and all the different things that is spoken about, that as soon as someone perceives a spirit, they immediately go towards, you know, it's dark and it's evil and demonic. Um, demonic yes and, yeah yes i and i i like with you i like what you're saying i feel frustrated by that tendency to kind of go dark and to go um you know it's almost like it's uh it's trying to be um you know uh what's the word i'm looking for uh, you know it's trying to go in for the jugular in a way to make it the darkest and most dangerous yeah um i i personally i felt drawn toward this more protective and, and light spirit you know you know robert one of the things that and you brought that up is that that's the problem i mean there's so many shows on so many groups now it's almost like a competition so it's like uh i investigated the most haunted place in new jersey and someone else's which is a different place no i invested the most haunted place you know i i was there there were demons uh, uh bad spirits and then i said it was demons so they, they try to up each other so i think they try to make that yes. fear factor uh, the driving force saying oh see how brave i am i i battle demons yes. yeah, yeah whatever trust me if you and battle I, I demons kind of, you wouldn't be around <laughs> yeah i wish we would sort of move things in another direction actually maybe in the opposite direction mm -hmm. you know this is something that i try to do when i lead ghost tours at the mount i really try to not to sort of sensationalize it, but to try to encourage people to try to feel the sense of presence that the place has, which can be very subtle. And it's not necessarily something that hits you over the head or is uh, shocking. Um, it could just be something very subtle that you can feel if you tune into it. And that can be enough, you know, just to have that little sense of uh, spark or electrical feeling in the air. And it can be very subtle, but it can really uh, be very exciting. That's right up yeah. your alley. Yeah. yeah. The... <laughs> what? What, Ron? 
what he said. Well, yeah, I mean, and you know what, not to, to change the subject, but I appreciate that. I mean, I will say that I do a lot of um, readings myself, you know, the psychic mediumship readings, but I do get a lot of people calling for help for their kids. And that's one thing that's starting to really concern me is because they say, oh, well, we're seeing spirits, but, you know, right away, everything is negative. Um, and so, right. I, I don't know, I really, it's troubling to me because then they're terrified. It could be a loved one checking in on them or, you know, spirit in the yeah. house, um, family members. It doesn't necessarily mean it's, you know, it's the demon that's sitting on your doorstep, you know? Yeah. It, and I've seen people on ghost tours have a sense and get like, excited like laughing you know because it would make them happy to feel something you know so that's what i was going to say and i thought marie might go in that direction too is that you think that we all have this ability to be able to uh sense the the energy in a place sense the the uh atmosphere in a place do right. i personally well, you can. I, I, yeah yeah so do you encourage do you encourage that on your ghost tours I do encourage it. Yes, I do. I, I, uh, I invite people. I mean, obviously, when I do a ghost tour, I, I'm talking a lot because <laughs> I'm telling mm-hmm. stories. But I try to leave space. I try to leave time for people to quietly just experience the place in the dark, in the quiet, and try to tune into whatever this is that moves people to, to feel that they're you know, making contact that has inspired so many stories over the years. I believe that when a place inspires that many stories, there's something there. Even if we don't know exactly what it is, there's some sense uh, of energy or something uh, that, that enlivens the place that inspires people to tell these stories. So I try to encourage people to see if they can make that contact too when they go on the tour. Do you, you agree know, with that, people, Laurie? Yeah. I do. I mean, and for people that, you know, when I think of you, Ron, I know that, you know, you, uh, you attend church on a regular basis, right? Mm-hmm. So for anyone who doesn't believe that you can pick up energy or feel energy, really all you have to do is, you know, if you were to go into a church or go into somewhere yes. where there's being prayers held, is you can actually feel, right, the intention, the energy that people are putting in there. I mean, that goes yeah. for everything. That's even how many times have you walked into a room after somebody has had a really bad argument, Right. And you yeah. walk into that room and you immediately feel that tension in the air. So I think I don't realize people, I mean, I don't think people realize how easily, you know, we're wired as far as picking up on those sensitive energies that if you really pay attention, yeah. like you said, you'll pick it up. And I think that, you know, the people often ask me, you know, do, do you believe in ghosts? Or that question comes up a lot about belief, of course right? Would. Yeah. And Right. And, and I, and I, you know, not to be cagey, but I sort of avoided the question a little bit because I don't think it really matters what you believe. Uh, I think it, it, it matters what you experience and feel. And, um, but what I, what I do think is whether or not you believe in ghosts, I think the stories and having these encounters with places like this can um, spark that sense in us to kind of tune ourselves into subtle, mysterious energies. And, um, and so I think it actually does a service for people if they, if they follow it, if they listen to the story, if they open themselves up to a place and try to feel its presence. Um, and it, uh, it turns something on inside of them uh, that might make them a little bit more attuned. So, so on the other aspect of it, do you have people that on your tours that 
have a reverse effect where they, they become scared. Yes, I have had that experience before. I've had people actually leave ghost tours um, because it was just too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that, that I, you know, I, I, I do try to, uh, you know, of course, you know, somebody is feeling overwhelmed or something is affecting them. Uh, I, I try to ease that, you know, a little bit, try not to overwhelm people for sure. Now, Robert, when you do these ghost tours, um, are you able to, I know sometimes because so many things have changed and then obviously with COVID and um, now that's lightened up a little bit, but have there been um, times when you can only do an outdoors type of ghost tour or you do a combination of indoor and outdoor or is it in buildings, particularly like, like libraries or certain locations? Right. Well, you know, when 2020 happens and everything shut down, uh, my mind went to how do we keep this ghost tour going? You know, what can we do? And uh, we decided at the Mount that we would go online entirely. Um, oh, so for that's that, cool. That, yeah, mm-hmm. for 2020 season, uh, the Mount uh, was wonderful. They 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 sort of amped up their internet connection all over the place, and including in some of the more remote places that we take the ghost tour that aren't really used for anything else but that. Uh, they they wired it so that we could have better signal throughout those places. And um, yeah, we took the ghost tour online. It was actually my wife who operated the camera. Uh, and, uh, we went over, and we, we went on awesome. Zoom because, you know, you had to, it was, we have to be so mindful of who our bubble was and everything at that point, you know? So it was just the two of us. And, and then Marge, who uh, was, is uh, one of our guides, and we were sort of socially distanced and wearing masks. And um, we, we did it over Zoom. We had people sign up online and watch from the comfort and safety of home while I traipsed around in these haunted places. And, um, <laughs> you that's know, fantastic, and, though. That's really, that is awesome that you did that, thinking outside the box. And the other thing is, do you still do that occasionally? Because there are people who not just, you know, don't make it because of health reasons, or uh, but they also, maybe they're too far away to be able to attend. Absolutely. And in fact, one of the things we found, which we didn't expect, and we were so thrilled, was that we had an audience. I mean, our ghost tours were, you know, typically we do a ghost tour of about 20, 25 people. Um, by the end of that season, we had hundreds of people on our ghost tours. Uh, wow. And they were That's they were all over the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were, uh, we had people, one night I was, uh, you know, we do like a Q&A at the end. And um, so somebody sends a question in, can you describe where in the United States you are, because we're from India and we've never been there, you know? Oh, wow. And I, it had, yeah, and it hit me. I was like, my God, our audience is everywhere right now. Um, See, the word got so out. It was, the word got out. We were picked up by the, the Globe and then the New York Times put something in about it. And before long, you know, just all of these people were coming. And it felt to me like just the right moment because people, you know, were all, as we all were, stuck at home. Uh, looking for some way to to, to connect, and uh, we, we were there. We we you know the moment was right, and we just kind of did it, and uh, and it was so wonderful uh, to to reach people that way. We have done some online since. Um, I actually mm-hmm. produced an entire like virtual tour of Benford Hall, which is available on their website. Uh, to oh, watch. what is your website? 
So my website is robertoaks.net. Um, and that's my last name has a silent E. It's O-A-K-E-S, robertoaks.net. And there are links out from there to all the different things I'm doing, including to Bedford Hall's ghost tour. Um, but yeah, so, you know, you could still watch it online. And at the Mount, I don't know that we're going to do any online this season, but um, I certainly would like to. Um, but we have done some out, outdoors when the, when it, when, and when necessary. We've done, I do one at Church on the Hill, which is entirely outdoors. Um, oh, excellent. So, you know, you just try to be flexible and, and make it work. Mm-hmm. I know uh, we are coming up to break, and I do. When we get back, I want to circle around back to the, the book, your new book that's out there. Uh, yeah. I had a couple of questions uh, on something you mentioned earlier, which probably isn't even in the book, but you mentioned it, so that's fair game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh oh. But oh, nothing. You're in bad. trouble now. <laughs> but, but anyways, uh, yeah, I mean. The, the virtuality is, is great. I mean, when we first started out t- over 20 years ago, we were on terrestrial radio and then Tojinet approached uh, me and uh, said, how would you like to be heard all around the world? And I says, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, right. and that's the part, the birth of the podcast. Tojinet was one of the pioneers in it. And, you know, sure, we have sure. Patreon members from Australia. We have UK. I mean, everywhere. And it's it's simply a blast anyways we got to take a break you're listening to ghost chronicles the original ghost chronicles with maureen wood and ron Kolick right here on uh toji net uh special guest is robert oates and uh we are brought to you by circles of wisdom 386 merrimack street methuen massachusetts the glant messier family law group 15 high street north end of massachusetts and our very very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. So become a member of the Dead Air Society. Join us on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. And uh, when we come back, uh, I want to find out more about this monster he was talking about. But yeah, anyway. me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Anyway. So we'll be right back after the following messages. a paranormal event book or something else you want people to know about then why not advertise it on ghost chronicles radio with over 150,000 downloads a month get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject we have a plan at a cost that fits your needs for more information contact ron kolick at any ghost project at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678 hello Hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing. Although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. 
The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, Mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Welcome back since my co-host is quiet. <laughs> I can't. I tried texting you and I can't. I'm, I was bumped out. So. Anyways, you, are, you can't say we're back? <laughs> well, I do, but you have such a long, lengthy list yeah, of wonderful yeah, that yeah. I can't remember. You've been, you've been away <laughs> way too long. That's the problem. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> anyways welcome right. back. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles on Tochinet. Uh I am Ron Kolick. That is Maureen Wood. And our special guest today is paranormal author and tour guide Robert Oates. So in the very beginning of this thing, and you have a new book out called Ghosts of the Northwest New Jersey. Did I say that right? I probably screwed it up. They always do. No, that's, that's it. Wow. That must be a sign. Right. Anyways, uh, <laughs> you mentioned something earlier in the show about uh, I, I believe it was a monster. I, I can't think of the name because I can't remember. Ocus began with an O, I think. Did you you remember so, that? I think we're talking about Hoppy of Lake Hopatcon. Oh, I was so close yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> Steve Steve Pass and I are both very very uh, interested in in uh, you know Loch Ness, sea serpents, and all that stuff. In fact, I was have been work while well, I was working on it before the pandemic hit and a documentary on uh, sea serpents and lake monsters. So yes, tell me all about Mr. Hoppy, whatever the hell it was. So Hoppy, yes. Many people don't know that New Jersey has its own sea serpent uh, like Loch Ness Monster. Uh, Mm -hmm. This one is the Hoppy, uh, the serpent creature of Lake Hopatcon. And uh, Lake Hopatcon is in, it sort of borders Sussex and Morris counties in North Jersey. It's the largest lake in the state, and um, you know it's it's out in in a sort of western part. It's kind of a like a, a place where people go to boat and you know fishing and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the story of Hoppy uh, has been going or circulating since probably about 1894. I think that was the the earliest uh, version of it that I could find, where someone back then reported. Uh, coming across this creature in the lake. Um, and this was reported in the Lake Hopatcon Angler on August 4th, 1894. They said that it, it was uh, as thick as a man's leg with a head the size of a St. Bernard and the body of a 40-foot snake. And oh. uh, according to the report, and this is funny, I'll just read this. Many at the time claimed to see the creature swimming near the area of the lake known as the River Styx ominous name yeah. Uh, yeah one man it's perfect actually one man said he shot at it but his bullet quote rolled off like water off a duck's back without even <laughs> making the monster wink <laughs> some at the time dismissed the sea serpent panic blaming it all on an old mud turtle with the head 
like a lager beer keg. Uh, and the angler reported seem, reporter seemed at a loss to determine whether it was a dog, turtle, or a beer keg. Nevertheless, the legend of Hoppy has persisted down through the years. Now, this was interesting. As I was researching, I came across recent stories Ooh. from as early, some, you know, between 2014 and, and a few years after, where people were saying they were seeing a boa constrictor or a, an anaconda swimming Ew. in the lake. This caused actually quite a stir at the time and quite a bit of controversy because people, not everybody agreed that this was real and there was some concern over whether it was uh, having a bad impact on the community and all this sort of thing. Uh, but nevertheless, suddenly there were stories of a giant snake swimming around Lake Hopatcon again, a hundred years after, or more than a hundred years after Hoppy was first reported. So mm. people wondered, had Hoppy returned? <laughs> the return of yeah. Hoppy. And I don't oh, like snakes, so just that story alone is enough to not go swimming there. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, How, I, apparently that's all done with, as I understand it. But for a, a few years there, there were some some reports. How, how some deep concerns. is the lake? Do you know? I actually don't know for sure. It's it's depth. It is a fairly sizable, though. And I know people take motorboats and all kinds of things out on it. Is, is uh, it fed by a river or... The interesting thing about Lake Hopatcon is that it, it, it used to be two smaller lakes. Um, and uh, like we were talking way back in the days of the Lenape, um, it was two um, separate bodies of water. But in the 19th century, uh, it, they backed it, they sort of, they dammed it, they dammed the, the flow, the water flow into it, uh, or out of it rather, to uh, help uh, with the industrial activity that became prevalent there at the time. And then once they started to, they actually, Lake Hopatcom became the source of water for the Morris Canal um, that ran across all of North Jersey um, as a water, as a commercial waterway. And so then they backed it up even further with dams um, and then it became one giant lake. Oh, wow. So that's yeah. intriguing in itself. Uh, yeah, did they, did they dam up a creature in the lake that grew? Was there industrial activity that that created a uh, mutant? Oh, so interesting. Is that size sturgeon? <laughs> All right. A lot of industrial activity around the lake, for sure. I mean, you know, in that time, particularly. And in, in the area all around it, you have these sort of industrial villages, like Waterloo Village and... Uh, another one that was actually very mysterious that I came across while I was researching um, on Mount Alamuchi, which was an industrial village called Sourport that was started by a man named James Frenchie. And he built all of these uh, factories and different things there. Um, and then the whole place sort of like was, you know, uh, sort of was left um, and became eventually became a Boy Scout camp there. But um, a, a lot of attempts at, at at industrial activities for sure all around that area. Is there a story in the book that made you sad? Ha! Huh, what a good question. I mean, honestly, a lot of uh, researching generally made me sad um, <laughs> because you know, being from New Jersey, I mean, New Jersey often gets this bad rap because you know it's crowded and. You know all the industrial activity and all the uh, highways and you know the, everything. Yeah. Go go back go back a hundred years though, hundred twenty years. New Jersey was this. I mean, it truly was a garden state, and it was 
is filled with pasture lands and farmlands. And, um, you know, uh, one of the things I was surprised to learn, you know, the, the town Hoboken, which is right across the river from Manhattan, um, 120 years ago, it was this pastoral green field. They actually called it the Elysian Fields. Oh, wow. where people would go and summer they would sort of escape New York City and go there to get away from the city. Um, and so, you know, this sense that there was so much uh, change of so quickly in such a short period of time that turned much of it into this industrial uh, you know, and the railways and everything that were brought in, the highways. That uh, one of the things I was finding on a number of places that I was researching was that the place itself just simply didn't exist anymore. Oh. It was, you know, like uh, more than one of my one of my journey, like sort of my searches for the for a place ended with, and it was paved over by the Garden State Parkway, or <laughs> it was paved oh. over by Route 80, and it's gone. And so that made me sad to think that these places that once stood there, um, when the when the surrounding landscape was so different. Um, are just completely gone now and it kind of erased by the modern, um, you know, industrial and commercial activity and highways and everything else. At least with your books and other people's books, you're preserving these places in history. Well, that's the way I feel about it. I actually feel that it's even more important in a place like New Jersey to keep these stories alive uh, because the places may not exist anymore. And so all we have left uh, are the stories, you know? I hear the hounds of basketball somewhere. Yeah. Oh, that's my dog. <laughs> yeah, that's that's Oscar. On the moor. <laughs> he always gets his word in. <laughs> so I I found how the deep the lake is. So how oh, good, good. Is eighteen to fifty eight feet. Oh, that's not wow. Good. Yeah, that's a good depth. So I wouldn't no, think so. Not really. it I don't think yeah. so. Fifty-eight yeah. feet. How tall are you, Ron? Uh, <laughs> not that tall, but no. I mean, uh, you know, hey, you know, we're not talking hundreds of feet there. So I mean, you get a good size something or other, then it's gonna feed on something. It's gonna have a place to go and do whatever those things do. I'm thinking fifty-eight feet is kind of a bigger room than I have in my house, though. So. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Fair it, enough. It can move Fair around. Enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, if it's 40 feet long, think about that. Hmm. Oh, okay, let's not. I don't like okay. snakes and stuff. Okay, let's change the subject. So anyway. <laughs> um, so what other, tell us another story that we have, like one of your, not, the not so mysterious, but something that you have maybe a paranormal story related that you can share, something that is very creepy for people. How's that? Oh, wow. From change the book? The from uh, from from the book or from my own experience? <laughs> from your Where own experience. Oh, yeah. wow. Change this all experience. up. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, other than being on the show. They should be on the show. <laughs> 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 all right, Nothing prepared me for this. Anything. That's okay. <laughs> it doesn't have to be, you know, your personal. It can be any experience. How's that? Well, one of the things I started off with um Actually, right in the beginning of the book, as I was saying earlier, because this is about my home state, you know, it, it just felt naturally more autobiographical to me mm -hmm. to, to sort of like put myself a little bit more in the book. So, uh, you know, I think I used the personal pronoun twice in Ghost of the Berkshires, um, but I used it many times this time because I am talking about my own experiences more. Oh, wow. And 
Yeah, and not necessarily my own paranormal experiences, but my experiences of searching for the stories and talking with people and memories of things that I had done in these places before when I was growing up in New Jersey. Um, but one of the things I did lead off with was a memory that I have from when I was very young. Um, and this was something I kind of dredged up while I was doing some free writing about my earliest memory. And I suddenly had there on the paper this memory of seeing a man on horseback Ooh. dressed like George Washington or someone from a revolutionary era hmm. uh, moving down the side, the, the road in between it, several houses uh, in probably what would have been my hometown. And I just, you know, the clip flop of the horse and this, just this image of a man passing through the houses and disappearing. Right. And it's such an old memory that I just couldn't, place it I couldn't figure out like how did I have this memory like where did this come from you know did I see this did I dream it did I you know and of course you know yeah and I go toward like I sort of like think about like did I see a ghost or did I see an actual man on a horseback and and I try to rationalize and think well I was born in the mid 70s in 17 you know in 1976 the whole country was celebrating the bicentennial, bicentennial. American, yep. I thought, you know, and I thought, well, could I have been seeing someone like a reenactor and just this memory was stuck in my mind? And I, as a kid, you have no idea what it is. You don't know what mm-hmm. to do with that. You just sort of stick that away. But it got me thinking about how sometimes these ghost experiences can be for us because they, something happens that just sort of pops up among ordinary everyday life. And it just doesn't make any rational sense. It shouldn't be there. And yet it is. And um, that sort of disconnect between what you expect or what the rational mind uh, wants and then something that is otherworldly or strange, um, that to me is sort of like the itch that you can't scratch when it comes to this ghost thing. It's what keeps me interested in wanting to find out more and uh, learn more of these stories because I love when people share these experiences about this very kind of thing where they have an experience that doesn't make sense to them, um, but there it is. And so that's kind of, for me, that was kind of, maybe that was for me like a start to this uh, journey, uh, this exploration. Yeah. See, you're psychic because that was going to be my question is what is, is that possibly contributing to your intrigue and your interest in writing you know ghost stories and the paranormal i think i think it definitely is because you know what do we do with these experiences i feel one of the things i've learned um doing ghost tours writing about ghost experiences um is that many many people have had experiences like this even if they don't talk about it um and i think there's a lot to be gained from sharing these experiences, you know, and just talking about them. Um, and I love to hear when people share the, these, these kinds of experiences. You know, I really enjoy the, the old accounts, the, the accounts that go back for years, because, you know, we do have a plethora of uh, uh, paranormal shows on. We do have ghosts in the news all the time. And we have Facebook. It has tons of ghost stuff. Everywhere has ghosts. But back then, you know, it wasn't looked on, uh, you know, so 
fondly. Uh, and so when people had these experiences, they were profound experiences. And yes. they were recorded uh, somewhere, which is important. And the other thing, if you talk to someone who has an experience and they're still willing to talk about it, to me, that's even uh, more compelling because we all know that uh, our mind is, is very much wants order in our lives. We want, you know, we look at clouds, we see, you know, dogs, yeah. we see this because we want order. We want things we can recognize. And after a while, right. we begin to rationalize our experiences away, which you, you've mentioned several times in the show that you, whether I rationalize it, you know, and, and that's, that's what happens. So I love these old stories. I love that people want to share these stories as well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I loved coming across uh, in both books that I wrote, um, you know, it was a lot of fun to sort of pull, to uncover these very old stories in old newspaper clippings um, and realize that a place has been inspiring stories for, for a very long time. And to try to get at like some of the roots of where some of these, you know, cause they get picked up and passed along mm -hmm. and people don't even remember maybe where they first heard it. Um, but nevertheless, it becomes part of the lore, big part of the memory of a place. And it's kind of cool to uncover where it may have originated from. In, in some very old source. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, that's where yeah. the difference between like an urban leaven, uh, yeah, urban legend, and you know some of the the accounts that you like. You read that account on uh, the, the monster sea monster that you had, you know, account of somebody at that time. So it's not that it was yeah. passed on from person to person to person, where it lost something, added something along the way. It was while yes. it happened. Yeah. That's and compelling. Thing that I found, absolutely. And an interesting thing has happened. Actually, this has only just happened, so I need to uh, look into it a little further. But somebody reached out to me who writes about uh, New Jersey ghosts um, and, and, and let me know that there is a version of, this, of a story that appears in my book um, that is very similar to a story that he's familiar with in a different town in New Jersey. Hmm. Um, and what's interesting is that the two towns are very similar to one another. One is called Morristown, and the other one is called Moorestown. Oh. <laughs> and, and the story, and I looked this up because when he wrote to me, I said, oh, my God, did I, did I get this wrong? You know, I, the I wrong town or what? Again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I checked my source again. And sure enough, there is a 19th century newspaper article that talks about a Morristown ghost that begins in very much the same way as the story that this other man shared with me from Moorestown, the stories do go in very different directions, uh, it seems to me, um, as they went along, but they started off very similar. And that to me seems like an example of a story sort of getting picked up, passed along, maybe even mis you know, confused somewhere at the source, right. um, mixed up for two, for the, you know, for two different places. And then the story takes on a life of its own. It becomes a whole different thing, you know, in some other town. Right. Um, Great you know? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the problem is, is authors, it's our responsibility to give as accurate information as possible. Because yes. if, if we don't, then we actually cause that type of uh, experience. In other words, if we 
you know, we we always uh, I always do ghost tours. Uh, well, I was doing ghost tours, but before the uh, pandemic hit for the lighthouse. And one of the things mm-hmm. we always did, I would talk about something that happened and it, it didn't happen. Then I stop and I say, you know, that's never happened. That was, uh, you, you know, we just said that to see what your reaction is and, and to show you, right. to demonstrate how important it was that you get the accurate facts. Because what if you're on this ghost tour and you happen yeah. to be an author researching that particular subject, and, and the guide says, okay, and a man hung himself here at the beginning of the fort. Well, you go home and you right. write about it, and it's on the internet or in a book, and then somebody else researching that and doesn't want to go into the sources or anything else. They just you know, take the facts from that particular boat, and it goes on and on until a, a total bakery becomes truth. Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's a liability of, of the of the work we do as we as we and responsibility as well. Yeah, and I was really glad that this man wrote wrote to me and, and let me know about this because I wasn't familiar with the other version of the story. And that's part of how we can help each other is we can sort of share that information, you know. And and I do, I, I don't know. I guess you know. Obviously, there is a concern when 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 fictions become facts. And we start to live in a world where we don't know what's true anymore. I, I do get that concern. At the same time, I'm I'm very interested in the way that stories evolve and oh yeah, sort of take take on a life of their own. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. The, so it, a good yeah. friend of ours, Chris Bolzano, uh, does uh, this thing called Tripping on Legends, and and that's exactly what it does. He takes a legend and he goes back to the source and finds out how it originated, if there was facts involved, yada, 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 you know, so he, mm-hmm. he goes back and maps it out, which is a great idea, you know, it just goes back yeah. and, and looks at that stuff. Yeah, you go back far enough, I feel like so much of what we take as, as fact can be, it, it often gets murky, it gets blended with myth and legend, and, and you mm-hmm. know, it's hard to tell sometimes. And and a lot of it is also, I think, uh, power suggestion as well. And and I'm sure you see this on your ghost tours. That yeah, I think there that yeah, I think that can happen where if you uh, sort of, well, one of the things I think actually is interesting in that is that I've witnessed people and almost anticipate something I'm about to talk about. Really. Yes, that's where, right up. That's Maureen's alley there. <laughs> yeah, where something is said to happen in a certain location, and many people say it. I'll bring the group into that location. I'll be about to tell them something about that spot and others' experience, and someone will sort of stop me and be like, "You know what? I'm picking up right now," and it'll be something very similar. I've seen that happen before so that's an interesting phenomenon to witness it's sort of the reverse of the power of suggestion <laughs> well yeah it kind of makes you wonder like the collective energy right or the collective uh, yes. all tapping into similar energy and if you've done that before they could also be tapping into what you're projecting yourself before it even comes about i've had that thought yeah that we're sort of all sort of in the same it's like it's like the old mary couple point. you know the old Mary couple, yeah. you finish your sentences if you're on the same wavelength, yes. you know. <laughs> yes, I think there's some truth to that, actually. I witnessed that. 
I mean, it's a fascinating thing, uh, you know, energy and, and the power of the mind. Uh, you know, we're doing an event uh, end of the month with Steve Parsons, who's a parapsychologist from the UK coming over. And one of the things we're doing is called the Mind Lab. And we look at all the aspects of uh, different modalities of uh, energy reading from uh, uh, psychometry to uh Oh, uh, what do you call it? Scrying to, uh, you know, a whole, a whole series, astral projection, a remote viewing. So we look at all of those ESP and it, you'll be surprised uh, how much power our mind has. You know, people that don't think they have any uh, abilities at all uh, actually do it if, if it's uh, focused properly. Well, yeah. you know what also happens is that there's been actually testing, some testing done that if you do, for instance, like remote viewing um, or you're doing, you know, connecting to like Ron, when you used to take a box and put an object in the box, right? Mm -hmm. You may get a group of people, if you're online, you get a percentage of the people that all have the same thing, even though it's all wrong, right? because they're almost tapping into the energy the other person's projecting instead of really what's there. You know, they're picking up on what they're feeling and thinking, and it's not even the object itself. You get a few people that are focusing on the object itself. And, you know, if you're not focusing your intention, I do believe you can, it's like radio waves, you're tapping into the rest. Yeah, mm -hmm. but we we uh, we did a, an experiment in uh, Salem, Massachusetts. There was a, uh, a church there actually called the, uh, what was it called? I forget, the vault or something like that. I don't know what, I can't even remember. Oh, the gathering. And uh, we did a public ghost hunt in there and they had, it was a bank. So they had all these safety deposit boxes. So we had like three different groups that came in. We, we did different things. So we're running out of time, not down. But anyways, I had everybody grab a, a particular uh, safety deposit box and then hold on it through psychology. And whatever came in their minds, they wrote it on a piece of paper and stuck it inside the box. And we did that. Mm all night long through the different groups. Now, nobody knew what they was written in these papers. And then at the end, we opened it up. And by gosh, on some of the uh, boxes, there were agreement with all three groups of what was, uh, uh, what they wild. picked up. That's that's energy reading, yeah. that, which is intriguing. But we yeah. went out of time, Rob. I hate to say it. You, you've <laughs> been an awesome, awesome guest. I appreciate you. Uh, uh, thank you. Spending an hour with uh, Maureen and myself and our listeners. And, uh, Thank you, know, you. We, I appreciate it. We look forward to uh, seeing your new book when it comes out. Uh, oh, it's already out. Thanks. Uh, it comes, it, yeah. Well, no, it comes out September 26th. September and if you 26th. go to robertoaks.net, um, there's info about it there. Okay, so spell that out for us quickly. Uh, Robert Oaks, that's uh, O-A-K-E-S dot net. Net. So check them all out. Robert, thanks you once again. Thank you uh, very much. Maureen, thank you. Thank you. You've been, listen you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles right here on Tojinet, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, the Glant, Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, and our super duper, very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio One Patreon, members of the Dead Air Society. Uh, Steve Parsons from the UK and my co-host from uh, Ghost Chronicles International will be over here at the end of the month and for a couple of weeks to do a series event. Go to anyghostproject.com, the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com, and check out all the cool things we'll be doing. Thank you, everyone. Good night, and uh, God bless. See you next Thanks. week. Thank you. Good night. Good night. God bless.
Goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.